Hello and welcome to this very special Ash Wednesday episode of the Golden Beach podcast. Uh, welcome to the congregation of Golden Beach and, and our regular listeners who are around the world, actually, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And this won't be a traditional sermon. I wanted to provide an opportunity for you to hear a message as we celebrate this Ash Wednesday and the beginning of the Lenten season. So to begin with, what is Lent? Now, Lent is the traditional 40-day observance leading up to Easter Sunday in which Christians fast, pray, and prepare spiritually for a time of reverence and adoration of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. The period of Lent begins today with Ash Wednesday and concludes with Holy Saturday. During this period, we celebrate Palm Sunday, which is Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. We celebrate Maundy Thursday, which is the Last Supper and subsequent betrayal of Jesus, and Good Friday, which is his death upon the cross. Lent gives us an opportunity to step back and pause to recognize our humanity and our own sinful nature. The Lenten season reminds us of our need for a Savior as we take this special time to reflect and repent for our shortcomings. It is an opportunity to recognize the human condition that we often spend the rest of our year running from, and it's a much-needed opportunity to bring our need for a Savior to the forefront of our minds and of our lives. Lent prepares us as we approach Good Friday and Easter with thanksgiving for the grace and mercy shown to us. And the concept is to open our hearts to God's refining grace through prayer, confession, fasting, and almsgiving as we anticipate Holy Week. And I'm going to talk about these three components in a few moments. Lent traditionally lasts 40 days. and It's modeled after Christ's 40-day fast in the desert and ends on Good Friday. In the Western Church, Lent officially begins with a reminder of our mortality on Ash Wednesday. People often ask, is, is Lent in the Bible? Where can I find it? And, and the Bible doesn't actually record the disciples or the early church observing Lent. Lent is more recent tradition, and, and it's inspired by Jesus' 40 days and 40 nights praying and fasting in the wilderness, as I said. And this is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'm going to take a moment and read from Matthew 3 and then 4. And I'm going to read from 3 to set the stage. And 4 is really where we get the meat of the message. But in Matthew 3, we, we talk about the baptism of Jesus from Scripture. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's from Matthew 3 verses 13 through 17, we get into Matthew 4 now, which is where Jesus is tested in the wilderness. So Jesus was, was just baptized. The, the Spirit descended on him, and, and God says, this is my son. I love him. I am well pleased. And it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. The Greek word for tempted also means tested. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's worth noting here that that Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now it's the devil quoting scripture, and this is Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is Deuteronomy 6.16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's Deuteronomy 6.13. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I added those comments about the, the quoting of scripture, and it's worth noting that Jesus, the Son of God, knows scripture. How much more do we need to know it? And he used it as a weapon, just as it's described in the Bible, that it is a weapon to be used, not a not a necessarily a, a weapon to beat someone over the head with, but a defensive weapon against the devil's schemes. As we can clearly see it, the devil himself knows scripture as well. How often are we approached in our minds, if, if not elsewhere, with scripture that feels condemning. Satan knows scripture. When we look at the recording in Luke, this is Luke uh, chapter 4, I'm going to skip ahead to after this conversation has happened between Jesus and the devil. And this is starting at verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So Jesus went to church regularly. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. See, Jesus went into the wilderness, led by the Spirit for 40 days, and this was done in preparation for the ministry that he was about to take on. I think you can see the reference now to the 40 days of the Lenten period as we prepare ourselves for the coming of this good news of our atonement for our sins. So no, no, the the actual Lenten scripture and and doctrine is not in scripture itself. But we can see the reference here. And and I think it's important to ask this question. Why would Jesus go in the desert for a 40-day retreat after his baptism? And it's for the same reason why people go on retreats or take sabbaticals. And it's to focus on who they are, to refocus and where they're going and how to get there. One's perspective about life gets blurred by all the noise and hyperactivity of life. Jesus needed time to understand the revelation of his identity given by the voices of his father at his baptism. And this voice, you recall, said, You are my beloved son. My favor rests on you. 
His fast of 40 days makes us a holy season of self-denial. By rejecting the devil's temptations, he has taught us to rid ourselves of the distractions of the world and the hidden corruption of evil. And I found a study guide which offered commentary I'd like to share with you. First, it said, Jesus was tempted as we are. Temptations are not bad in themselves, but is what we do with them that can help us turn to God or away from God. The author asked, do we see temptations as ways to turn to God rather than rely on our own resources? Secondly, he says, the temptations of Jesus seem different from the ways we are tempted, or is there a similarity? Underneath the different temptations of Jesus, there is the invitation of Satan that he deny his identity as a son of God. Are not our temptations an invitation to deny the kind of person we want to be and instead turn to unhealthy ways to satisfy ourselves? Third, he makes this point. It says, by resisting the temptation, Jesus chose to depend on his father to satisfy his deepest hunger, to relate with others in an ordinary way and not rely on reputation, power, and possessions. How do we satisfy our deepest hungers? Do we depend on prestige and power to make ourselves acceptable to others? And lastly, the author writes, are we going to use the 40 days of Lent as a retreat, making time to be more reflective and spend more time in prayer? I love that. Now again, today is Ash Wednesday, and and Ash Wednesday is a Christian holiday of prayer and fasting as the season of Lent begins. An Ash Wednesday little history lesson here derives its name from the placing of repentance ashes on the foreheads of participants, and either these words, repent and believe in the gospel, or, or they might say the dictum, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ashes are prepared by burning palm leaves from the previous year's Palm Sunday celebrations. And, and this tradition of marking with ashes is still widely participated or practiced today, but, but not by all Christian denominations. And with the current global pandemic and the unseasonably cold and bad weather, many churches are not able to perform this tradition. But perhaps in past years, you have seen your friends, neighbors, and coworkers with a marker on their forehead, or maybe you have yourself. But again, Lent is a season of repentance and preparedness. The Apostle Paul wrote to the early Christians in Philippi these words found in Philippians 3, verses 10 through 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, how do we do this? How do we prepare? In 1 Peter 5, 6, Scripture tells us to humble ourselves. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I'm reading scriptures today from the NIV translation of the Bible, and sometimes the different translations will use slightly different words or phrasing. And every single translation that I referred to for this verse, and that was more than 50, by the way, I found only one that was used, that used a different word than the word humble. And that's the message. And to be fair, the message is a paraphrase. It's not a literal translation. So um, it doesn't surprise me it uses a different term. But every single one of the others I read all said, humble yourself humble. That's very direct and very clear. In the message series that I'll be sharing in the upcoming weeks, we will be talking about making room. Making room in our lives for God's forgiveness. Making room in our lives for trust and faith. Making room in our lives to love and be loved. And we'll discover during this series that there are things that you allow, sometimes unintentionally, 
but things that we allow to take the time, energy, and space that God requires to do his good work in our lives. And this is the heart of the Lenten purpose, to make room for acceptance of the gift of grace and salvation. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast message, there are traditions, and some call them pillars, pillars of Lent. Fasting, prayer, almsgiving. But what is fasting? I'll tell you what it's not. Fasting is not a fad diet. It isn't starving yourself. It's controlling yourself to the extent of denying yourself of something. It doesn't serve a purpose to deprive yourself of something you don't really care about. You are to deny yourself of something of value and that may be taking your time, thoughts, energy, even your money away from things of greater importance. Repurpose this regain time, thought, energy, and money into something that focuses on God. If you don't like Brussels sprouts, then don't eat them, but don't call that a fast. What about the hours each day you spend on Facebook? What about the couch time you claim each night so that you can binge sitcom reruns? These are not horrible things, not all temptations are, but harmless, even otherwise good things can become a problem if you lose sight of the proper priorities. In Matthew 6, 21, we find these familiar words, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We know our, where our heart truly belongs. Just make sure you're treasuring the proper things, the things of real value, eternal value. The psalmist writes in Psalms 69, 10, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Now, did you catch that? He said, humbled myself with fasting. Remember, we're called to be humble. This Lenten season, I want to challenge you to set aside most, if not all, of this in favor of reading some scripture, doing some community service, praying, or whatever God compels you to do when you finally take a moment to listen to him. The book of Matthew also shares a word of warning. This is from Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. It says, When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, it's important that everything you do for the Lord, which... By the way, it should be everything, but it's important that you do these things humbly, sincerely, and not for show. Give without seeking credit. Serve others quietly without expecting a return favor or maybe even a word of thanks. The Lord sees what you have done, and Scripture is clear about this promise. It says, He will reward you. If you participate in the Lenten season in a way that is more conspicuous than others, you know, the ashes on your forehead today, maybe uh, not ordering a soda at the restaurant with your meal, and that's what you always do, or putting your phone down for an extended period of time, that might surprise some people. If you do something not for show, but it's still noticed, how should you respond? What if you were asked about this? Simple. You should be prepared to answer anyone who asks about what you're doing and why. And as the Apostle Peter advises in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Say something like, I'm focusing on something far more important. Or better yet, tell them what that something is. Share the good news that you believe and a little of your story and about what that means to you. 
Another pillar of Lent is almsgiving. Now that, that's a bit of a church, churchy word. Now, almsgiving is sacrificial giving, a giving to God, and as such, it extends far beyond mere philanthropy. But for this moment, let's just call it giving. And the same attitude you should have about fasting should be taken with giving. Don't give instead of something else. Give in addition to something else. Are you already being generous with sharing your time, talents, and financial gifts? Fantastic. God delights in what you're doing, and I pray that your offerings have been used wisely for God's great purpose in the world. But I challenge you to outgive yourself between now and Resurrection Sunday. In Malachi 3.10, we find this challenge from God himself. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. I love this. Test me in this, he says. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Friends, let's all try to outgive God this season and watch what he does with it. Not because we want the recognition, not because we just want God to bless us, that's really a bonus, but rather because it was a loving, as a loving child of God, that's what we do. Okay? We do it because he asked us to do it and because we love him and trust him and have faith in him. You know, it's the pastor Robert Morris in his book, The Blessed Life, that reminds us that it is far better to have 90% of something that is blessed than 100% of something that is not. Lastly, and certainly not least, is prayer. It is the Apostle Paul who writes in Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Scripture also tells us to pray without ceasing. Now, prayer is simply a conversation with God. It doesn't have to be an eloquent, well-prepared speech with all the vines and vows, unless that's how you always speak. Just talk to your Father. I promise He wants to hear from you. The promise of the new covenant that is made with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is that you can now and forevermore speak directly to God. You can also ask for forgiveness. You can repent, which means to turn away from your sins and turn towards God. So you can ask for forgiveness, you can repent, and you will be forgiven. That is a promise. And there are so many promises in Scripture about the goodness, grace, and mercy of God the Father, but they all start with one step, talking to Him. And just like with giving, if you're already spending regular time in prayer, great. But for each of us, I issue the same challenge. Let's up our game. That's up our game. If you're wondering what to do with the time you had spent doing the things that you uh, are committed to fasting for this period, let me suggest you spend a portion of that time in prayer. And if you truly gave up something that you hold in high value or or you really miss or or it's something that you're really just almost addicted to, you just spend so much time and, and all that, then pray all the more that you can remain disciplined to your commitment. When we celebrate communion as a congregation of the church where we gather, I always pause and marvel at the part of scripture that says, before pouring the wine, he gave thanks. Now this is Jesus talking. And I feel some conviction about my own prayer life because if Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the son of God, he needs to pray and give thanks, how much more do I? So as I conclude the special Ash Wednesday podcast, I'd like to add one more pillar of focus to your Lenten season for preparation. Okay, we're to fast. 
we are to give, we are to pray. But let's also commit to reading the word. It is the best way to get to know God and become familiar with his holiness, to develop a relationship with him, to understand his promises and his purposes for our lives. It is by far the best way for us to identify that things we should be fasting, not just for the next six weeks, but for good, literally for our good. John 17, 17 reads, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And i like to conclude with just one more word from scripture and then a prayer. From Zephaniah three seventeen. I read this benediction over you. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. God bless you. Let's pray. Oh God, whatever we can give up for Lent will never match what you gave. We're not able to do what you have done and our small actions serve only as desperate wildflowers waving in the open field of your mercy in surrender to your majesty. As we clear away distractions you invite us to let go of, hear our prayers of gratitude. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of your only son, Jesus, so that we can know that no matter what the world tempts us with, there is power that overcomes the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.